Hey everyone, this is Christopher Jason Bell with Indie Beat. We're on the Playlist Podcast Network and I'm here for you with a new episode. Today I'm in- interviewing filmmaker Jared Vincenti. Hello, Jared. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. Great to talk to you um, and great to have Likewise. you on the show. So, sorry, I keep talking over you. Um, oh, no, I'm talking over you. I'm going to keep doing it. No, it's you. You're going to hate me when you're editing this. It not me, it you. I mean, it, never mind. Um, so, you have, you're promoting a web series that you're doing now called We've Got History, and you've done a web series before that called... Um, Alston Christmas. Yep. And you have a feature that you did that came before that called Day of Youth. We will get all to all of those Sweet. in a more specific manner soon. I want to ask you a very general question to start off, and it's how did you get into filmmaking? I know personally that you went to film school, so maybe if you want to start like talking about the germ of wanting to do it and then you know deciding that you wanted to study it. Sure. So I actually didn't go to film school as an undergrad. I went um, for a master's about four years after I finished college. Uh, when I was an undergrad, I wasn't a great student. I kind of avoided doing all the work for all of my classes as much as I could. Um, and was spending a lot of my time. Uh, I went to Grinnell College in a town of 10,000 people in the middle of nowhere in Iowa. Um, and so what I spent a lot of my time doing was both um, going to the campus library and just checking out as many movies as I could find and going to the little mom and pop video store in town and renting what was on the shelves, which at the time was like just a ton of like 90s indie cinema, Renaissance stuff. Um, and I would just watch all these movies instead of doing my homework. Um, and it took me four years to realize that that meant something besides that I was a bad student. Uh, I was a double major in English and biology. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Um, you know, it... It can be. Um, I did more like the ecology, earth sciences, like wading around in streams and like preserving plant collections and, and the, the outdoorsy bio stuff. I wasn't glued to a microscope. I mean, I was sometimes, but um, yeah, not, not curing cancer, um, you know, trying to record what of this fragile world we haven't destroyed yet. Um, what drew you to the 90s uh, cinema in particular? It's just what there was. I mean, it was a tiny town, uh, 10,000 people um, with a thousand college students in it um, in a tiny town in Iowa in the middle of nowhere. And so it was just what made it onto the shelves of this little video store. Um, and, you know, now there's no more little video stores, but back then, um, that was kind of where you would go to find movies to watch. And so it just kind of was like, you know, picking stuff off the shelf that looked interesting. You know, the, the people who worked there were like your small town slackers who worked at a video store in the early two thousands and had 
lots of recommendations and it just became kind of this, um, you know, I think a, a matter of catching what was available more than what was great. And I kind of rounded out the rest of my film canon knowledge much later because the the inventory was a, a little specific there. Can you can you see how those majors like have have those majors influenced your work the the biology and the english do you see like a through line at all i'm certainly more well read than a lot of filmmakers i know um which i credit to the english degree um i think you know part of studying literature is um studying a bit of the history of our culture and understanding kind of the ways in which texts have conversations with each other and i think films do that too and I know a lot of filmmakers who don't think about their films that way, and um, I, I am always shocked by that. Um, biology is a harder line to draw, I think, you know, at the root of both filmmaking and natural sciences is a, a curiosity about the world we live in, and so that's probably about the best that I can, can do to kind of connect the dots there of just like, oh, this place is really interesting. I wonder what I can peel back from it to to figure out more. The more books I read, the more excited I get about storytelling, and I get more excited about the form because I feel like maybe it's just the kind of books I read, but I feel like, for the most part, a lot of the stuff I'm uh, getting into is pretty interesting, like structurally. Maybe that's because the structure is less um overt to me because it's such a much it's a much longer experience than a movie like watching a movie would be but i do feel like it maybe pushes me to write in different ways and i feel like that would be good for most filmmakers and i feel like they don't read as much as they should that's a huge generalization but um i feel like book reading does encourage uh stretching a little bit in your writing do you feel that way at all yeah i mean at the end of the day you are what you eat and i think you know when when you're talking about what you're writing your reading is uh influencing your writing i imagine you're not like reading the the novels you buy at the airport um that are just kind of the like you know paint by numbers airplane thriller right um you know if you're reading literary fiction was it oh and james patterson yeah Look, I mean, there's there's craft to be gleaned from um, from the schlock as well. So I don't I don't want to come off as like a, a highbrow purist because like I read genre fiction and I find it there, there's something to learn from everything. Um, but no, you 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 definitely reflect your influences and there's you know you're you're constantly interacting with other artists and I think that one of the the reasons I'm glad I didn't go to film school as an undergrad, but kind of got a liberal arts education beforehand is um, when I went to uh, get an MFA in film, so many of my classmates who had kind of only studied film only referred to life in kind of terms of the film canon. They didn't have enough outside influences. And I think that one of the things that's really important about being a director is being a generalist. 
um, is kind of having a finger in everything. So you can have a conversation with a composer or a, a cinematographer or, you know, there's there's so much you need to be able to, to dabble in. And when your whole kind of frame of view is film, I think that's limiting. It needs to come from somewhere. It needs to be expressing something. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of, like, film-crazy people that do fine like it works for them and that's their passion um i would encourage you know if you're film crazy it's like yeah that's cool but it's good to kind of uh experience other things i'm not like trying to give uh life lessons whatever like do what you want you know don't hurt people but do what you want but i i do think it's good to have like other avenues that you can explore like you should be able to appreciate like other kinds of art and you know whatever maybe you're still not maybe like this one person is really cultured and they still make bullshit um but it definitely doesn't hurt i think it could teach you a lot like i don't i watch movies like i still see like a couple a week but i'm not as fanatic as i used to be i'm i'm finding like other things i want to do and and one part of those part of that is uh reading like i'm reading a lot more and i'm you know pulling influence from that rather than just like going to the movie theater like couple times a week right and like you know i think it's it's not just reading but it's engaging with arts and culture on a broader perspective like i knew kids in film school who didn't you know didn't know who medea was or didn't know what the magic flute was and the, just like kind of basic milestones of of the the western canon just complete blank spaces and it's hard to make work that's going to, you know, exist within that canon if you don't know what else is in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, there's like, you can operate and probably operate fairly well without all that stuff. But I don't know. I think it's good to kind of, you know, engage with other things. And I like that you studied other things before filmmaking because now I'm kind of like personally I'm like I wish I studied something else um because I'm finding interest in in you know what books that be like literature or like now I'm getting into um you know a broad broadly like politics or like uh government or organ like labor unions and organizing and stuff like that and it's like I wish I you know had done more of that when I was a bit younger not that I'm old now but you know I wish when it was time where it's like oh I'm taking out all these loans so I'm okay right now to just <laughs> screw around and yeah. learn about stuff I you wish I did feel it. any better if you'd taken out those loans to read a lot of books you'd be like <laughs> man that was a really expensive replacement for a library card yeah well I don't yeah I guess it's like I wish I started uh reading more vigilantly earlier but anyway, yeah. um, so you did you did film school. Was uh, your film school production oriented? Yeah, it was a MFA in film production at Boston University with a concentration in directing. You may- yeah, um, you know, none of them very good, but I think that's, you know, 
one of one of the the things you have to learn in in film school is it kind of breaks down that part of you that's like oh, this isn't very good oh this isn't good enough it's like well you're gonna fail if you don't have something in three weeks so shoot it edit it and it kind of teaches you that that perseverance and the ability to kind of get out of your own head and get something done even if it's not what you dreamed it would be it's um you know it's in the world and it's it's out there and it's out of your head and it's moving on to the next thing for me i think you know obviously the technical stuff and in film school was was critical but also just kind of learning how to have a relationship to your own work i think is is the most important thing that i got out of that is just the 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 rigor and the schedule teaches you that you don't get to you know have long sulks about it you don't get to um you know be a perfectionist because you don't have a budget right and it just you know you you're gonna have your ups and downs about how you feel about your own work and that is a reflection of your relationship with your work not your work getting better or worse based on what side of the bed you get out of on a given day right were you generally pleased with uh, the program? I think people who expect to enjoy grad school are in for uh, an unpleasant surprise. Um, <laughs> I got what I needed out of it. Um, I I would not say that they were the happiest years of my life, but um, I I came out of it a, a better filmmaker, and that was the goal. So yeah, I keep forgetting like in conversations i'm sorry i'm definitely gonna remember now but that you were in a grad program so it's probably a little bit better than what i had which was undergrad but i was kind of uh and i feel like i bring this up a lot but i was kind of disappointed when i look back and it's they never really said anything to my class about what you had to do with your films or like Whatever, not what you had to do, but what you're, you're supposed to do, quote unquote, or what you can do is like submit them to festivals. Like we didn't learn anything about that. And I thought that was, when I look back, I think it's kind of like disappointing that we didn't do that. And then, and when I went to school, it was like right before YouTube and then right before Vimeo. So there was like no online game. Um, was this like part, did you learn anything about like what you do once you finish a film or like once you get out of school how to continue doing stuff so we definitely were kind of given a path of what you should expect to happen with the short film and take it to festivals and you know that that path um i was in grad school from 2008 to 2010 and the playbook really hadn't been updated since the 90s when you bring your student film to sundance and get a three-picture deal um, and so we were explained a path of what to do with a, a film after, after its, its production. Um, it just wasn't terribly reflective of the, the modern era. Times were changing faster than the, um, you know, than the curriculum could keep up in a lot of ways. Like my first day of film school, um, I was walking into the building to my first class and they were carting out all the Steenbecks and Moviolas because the, the school had sold them off so that they could turn that room into like a broom closet for the janitors. Okay, yeah. I mean, when you when you put it like that, it definitely was like a big transition. But I went back to my school to talk to them and it's like they're all shoot Like, it was nice to have an equipment room 
where we they had better cameras than what we could like we just had like at best like prosumer cameras but now everyone has yeah we'll probably have like a 70 or 5 year whatever and like an iPhone like looks good but it disappointed me yeah. that the equipment room now in my school they just have all like 5Ds so that was a little bit of a bummer and it's also like it took me a <laughs> while to I don't know to me that's exciting well, I don't know. I just like you spend so much money, you would hope that your equipment room has something better than what you could I don't want to say easily afford, but what is like possible for you to use. Right, but if you're starting learning how to compose a frame is like giving you an Alexa really going to help you learn? It's just going to get in the way. Yeah, no, but it should I think they should have them there so that like if you have a project, oh, yeah. you know, whatever, like as a junior or something or a senior or you can, like, work in class yeah. with it. Um, I don't know. Just so that, like, I don't know. I just feel like if you spend that much money, you should have something a little better. Um, not a huge point. But it took me a while to figure out that, like, what I could do after school, like, wasn't much different than what I was doing in school in terms of like filmmaking like micro budget filmmaking yeah it's just like no you got to try harder and you got to like really you can't shoot in your dorm room once you get out of school like for many reasons but it's like just don't do that um but otherwise well, it hasn't why, really changed. Like, the professors that are to, to me the professors that were the the harshest were the most valuable like shooting in your dorm room i remember someone had shot something in their friend's apartment and there's a rocky poster hanging on the wall in the background of this student film and we screen it and the professor's like what is the rocky about yeah and they're just like oh it was just on the wall and he's just like Everything you put on screen means something. Don't just leave things there because it's convenient, right? Yeah. And like really drilled into us, but like that those are the kind of lessons you have to, you know, you either learn slowly on your own or they just get like shotgun straight into your face. Yeah. Once you graduated, when did you start? Was Day of Youth the first thing you did after graduating? Yeah, it was. Uh, I finished my thesis film to graduate, and um, it had all sorts of production complications. I just kind of wound up turning it in, getting the grade, and getting a diploma and getting out of there. Uh, and then uh, about a year later, I sat down and wrote a feature script, and about... Eight months after that, rounded up all of my friends uh, and started shooting, like, in our houses and backyards and in our friend's house and just, like, out in the street without a permit. And, um, and yeah, shot a feature film for about $11,000. Can you talk um, more about I, shooting on shooting like you did? I wish in hindsight i had been twice as patient and shot twice as much and had twice as much to work with in the editing room um but at the same time like i know that the that kind of like anxious necessity is what got it done if i had thought about how to do it right or do it you know in a more disciplined or you know, or thoughtful manner, it, it might never have, 
made it onto you know single frame and so it was just kind of this this manic energy of like if i don't shoot something i'm gonna fucking explode and um wound up being a movie about a bunch of young people just out of school who um are really unhappy with the their place in their lives and kind of trying to to reckon with that yeah i mean it also seemed like I mean, we kind of did the same thing, (laughs) like, um, you know, similar in the ways that we did our first features. To me, it was kind of just like, well, everyone else is doing this, so I feel like I have to. I I did like a short film after school and nothing really happened with it. And it's kind of like, I should just do this little feature and, you know, it's the story I want to tell in the form I want to tell and see what happens rather than just being like, Oh, I'll make a short and it'll get big. And then I make a feature. It's like, why don't I just do the feature? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that was kind of where I was sitting as I was like, you know, the only way right now for me to make a film would just be this super rough, sloppy, stubborn, just like, you know, make it happen and as as aware as I was of the risks in that like at that point the choices were like make a movie with what you have or don't make any movie and the the second just wasn't an option and so I just charged up and did it and it was exhausting it was like shot overnight in the winter it was freezing it was uh long hours it was trying on our cast and crew and friendships um but i think in in hindsight everyone has fond memories of it even though like i don't know maybe 200 people have have ever seen it so this movie is called day of youth and you i put the link in the article um but yeah you could watch it now you could buy it now um can you pitch it briefly like just what it's about and then explain why it is what it's about sure it's uh it's about a young woman who gets in a bike accident and hits her head and can't remember the last three and a half years of her life um but the problem is that she hasn't done anything to change her life in the last three and a half years she still has the same shitty job still living at home still bouncing back and forth between her two idiot exes and so the crisis is kind of sparked not by the the memory loss, but by the the passage of time with without anything really measurably changing. Um, and so it is uh, a halfway romantic comedy about uh, life after school and brain damage. I think is is how I uh, taglined it. So what made you do that? Uh, yeah, story? it was just like. What made me do that? Um, uh, I think at that point, my worst nightmare was spending more and more years of my life in the same place where I was when I was writing it. And so um, I just wrote it from my deepest fear, which was staying put. But it's funny. I mean, it's kind of morbidly funny because it's like, you know, kind of fucked up. But um, yeah, if you like kind of dark humor and uh a lot of um a lot of jokes about brain damage then yeah it's it's a it's a unique beast this movie and also um alston you had found 
Like, you were able to get press for it. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit, I guess, about how you were able to do that? Sure. It's um, Everyone imagines that their film is for everyone. And if you ask them, you know, who's the target audience for this movie... Um, a lot of filmmakers will tell you, everyone, everyone should see my movie. Um, and don't get me wrong, I feel that way too. But you have to kind of distill it down to like, who's going to care about this first? Who's going to um, be the first person to say, oh, I'd watch that. And how do you reach them? What are they reading? Whose podcasts are they listening to? What, you know, what is the, um, what is the angle, right? And so for both Dave Youth and Alston Christmas, um, you know, they were very local stories set in Boston, um, and they were both um, pitched pretty hard to the, the local press, uh, Alston Christmas especially, because it's about a, uh, a local phenomenon, which is um, everyone moving on, uh, on September 1st because of the number of college students in town and how that cycle creates this chaotic citywide moving day. And so being able to kind of tie that story of the web series to the, um, you know, the, the annual event here in town, it's about finding a reason to get someone to talk about what you're, you're doing and finding a way to, to reach them without, um, without just banging on their door being like, tell everyone about my movie. What was it like to do a, like you had some sort of plan uh, for each project, we'll say, uh, to get it out. And how did you find who to like who to contact and who to try to like who to pitch the projects to so you can get press? Just hours of clicking around, finding, you know, just finding um, blogs and local magazines and looking at who's written things about other films in the past and tracking down their email. I mean, it's just a lot of like stalking people online and stalking people on Twitter and trying to, you know, just find their email address. And the thing about, you know, when folks are, are, are writers and journalists and whether it's for a blog or, or a newspaper or a magazine, like the, they're getting inundated with all these terrible pitches because the thing is like you may think that your movie is really special but that poor press writer has opened like 300 awful pitches every morning before they've read yours um and so you just have to write something that makes their lives as easily as possible that you know appeals to their news sense which you know they they talk about just as kind of like the the gut sense of like how how relevant something is, how interesting it is, how much it's part of the the conversation right now. So, I mean, you have a movie about um, Syrian refugees living in the U.S. Um, that's part of the conversation, right? Like, you need to find a, a way to to tie your project to to what people are talking about and why it's an important topic here and now, and. Uh, if you can't do that, um, you kind of have to ask yourself, like, why, why am I making this? Like, what, what conversation is this work participating in? Because there's a movie to keep you from being bored uh, without making movies, then, I don't know, try harder.
<laughs> yeah, I mean, we could talk probably for hours about the um, why people make what they make. Um, then they have nothing to say. But uh, moving on. Um, well, but I think it's something that that comes up a lot. You know, I also program for the Boston Gay and Lesbian Film Festival, so I see just you know tons and tons of movies and. You know, I have all of my friends who are who are filmmakers and artists who kind of have this like resentful anxiety about like, well, now that Trump's been elected, like I don't want to just like make art about how fucked everything is now, but I also can't not make art about how fucked everything is right now. And so, um, you know, to me, the the first question any piece of art needs to answer is why now. If you don't have an answer for that, then then you need to keep working. Um, so you know, it it's it's not that you need to respond to everything in the conversation, but you need to be able to say like, this is why this has a place right now. Yeah. This is why I made this now instead of any of the thousand other things that could have come out of my head. Yeah, yeah. You should be able to fight for it and like to argue for it. And if you don't have that yeah. passion, it's kind of like, I mean, first of all, it would probably, like, show up in the work, honestly. But it's also like, yeah, yeah. why are you doing it then? Like, seriously. Exactly. It's a lot of time and effort and money. Like, why are you doing it? Why did you do it? Stuff like that. So after Day of Youth, you did Austin Christmas. And yes. that is a web series. Yep. So, Why? Why did you do a web series afterwards? That sounded a little patronizing. I didn't um, mean it to be like that. Just, uh, you know, trying to spice no, up I the mean, way I the, talk. The answer is is fairly blunt. Um, and I, I can say this without sounding like I'm throwing too many stones because I've already admitted to being a film curator and programming for film festivals. Um, but um, Dave Youth was years of effort of my life and pretty much my entire savings. And I have a really, really expensive pile of rejection letters that all pretty much read the same. Like, oh, you know, we had so many great selections this year. It's so hard to choose. You can only get some of those before you, you know, I'm, I'm sure you, you know exactly what I'm referring to, right? Um, and so at the end of the day, you know, I joked earlier that only about 200 people have ever seen the film, and that's still probably pretty accurate because, um, you know, I, A, I was, I was, you know, very new at it and didn't know, you know, how to approach festivals and how to kind of ration that money well. Um, but ultimately, like, I was really discouraged, not by the film that I had made, but by the fact that... Um, it it didn't find a home and so much effort of so many people kind of just lives in a little file that um is a nice relic of a period in my life and it, it didn't kind of lead to anything else um because of just how you know you know we talk about how much technology has changed within film schools and how you know film Film professors will tell you how to bring your film to Sundance in the 90s, but there's no real path for understanding how that works now. Like, the fact that anyone can make a movie has created this glut in film festivals, 
I, I and again I say this you know as someone who runs one we ask these questions of ourselves all the time is like film festivals haven't figured out how to scale to the current realities of of film production like they're still meant for an old, older model of of how things get made and how things get watched and so for me like the gratifying thing with Austin Christmas was being able to just say you know what like more people probably read the article in the Boston Phoenix about the movie I made than watched the thing once it was finished. Um, so why don't I just make something and take it straight to the audience and skip all the gatekeepers? And um, it it felt amazing. It was um, it was really gratifying to not get piles of rejection letters and be able to take that money that had been budgeted towards festival submissions and just put it on screen. Um, so uh, why a web series? Because I didn't have to convince anyone of anything other than to watch it. In terms of the web series, I imagine it probably wasn't too difficult uh, to, to get into that mode because, you know, the web series is centered on this event that you described of like everyone moving, but it's all, they're all standalone episodes. So like, it's really just a number of short films. Yeah. You, that That's kind of what I thought when I started, uh, once you try to coordinate the schedule of 10, 12 times as many actors, uh, it, it's really no easier than producing a feature. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's my, my question was like, did you have to recalibrate at all for this project coming out of day of youth or, you know, how similar was it? Um, I probably should have more than I did. I, I really just kind of like stubborned my way through it. Um, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. Mm. I don't think it, it was fundamentally all that different of a production because I don't think that, you know, if you go in being like, oh, it's just a web series, I can cut some corners, like, it shows you need to, you know, you need to take your, your work seriously, whatever the, the format, whatever the, the scale or size of the audience. And so I don't think I did anything all that differently, um, other than not spend money on rejection letters. Ah, fuck those guys. It's a smart move, if you ask me. I don't know. I'm I'm also those guys. I curate a festival. We send rejection letters like it's, you know that it's it's a system that has not yet kind of recalibrated to a new normal and um you know everyone kind of has to look out for themselves even when when i'm wearing different hats i i definitely have very different points of view of the landscape so we are the hero and the villain yeah i mean you know as a filmmaker i totally empathize with uh the people who send like long nasty emails when you don't program their film uh as a film curator like i don't have time for it like i've got i've got a slate full of films that i'm excited about that i don't like i need to make sure like get here and get to the venue and like you know it's it's like a it's yeah there's there's a lot on both sides of it and it's important to, to see and respect both ends of it. Um, but it's, it's fundamentally like the, 
the the economics and the models of production just have not stabilized since kind of the 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 DSLR revolution 10 years ago and until we reach a new normal which i think we're a long way off from it's going to continue to be this kind of feast or famine boom or bust you know every year five people get to make movies that get heralded as like the great indie breakthrough and 500 really amazing films will die without a distributor or festival screening like it's it's we haven't figured it out yet yeah i mean i've i've worked for a festival like i've been a jury member and i've been part of like a screening committee like nothing huge and then i do my own programming um but you know you're actually in there and maybe you sort of answered this already but i wanted to know like what has it taught you like being part of that what has programming taught me as a filmmaker or as in a broader sense yeah well it's like you know being part of for lack of better words that game um you know programming at a at a film festival when you know you yourself said like oh you know all these rejection letters you know coming from a filmmaker like what has it taught you what have you learned um from Um, doing it i've learned it's not personal i've learned that you know i think when you're a filmmaker and you're submitting your first film to film festivals you imagine everyone is sitting there and judging and grading and like picking apart your movie and the fact is like you're you and, and you i'm sure you know this like your screening committee is watching hundreds of films and they're not you know scoring all of them it's you go to the you, you all watch the movies and you get together in a room and everyone has one or two that they just are absolutely in love with are going to fight for and by the time you've programmed all the films that people are head over heels in love with like the maybes and even the like, hey, that was really pretty goods. Don't even don't even make it to the table. Like, you know. So I guess if if there's an answer, it's better to make a film that one person is gonna absolutely adore than that twenty people are gonna kind of like because kind of like isn't gonna move the needle. And I think we should complain. I don't want to say that we shouldn't complain because it it feels good. Um, oh, you know, I love complaining. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, you know, for many reasons, but it is good to like really actually be a part of that. And, and you will see like how many submissions you actually get and, you know, how impossible it really does feel and and seem and, you know, how different everyone's taste is and stuff like that. So, you know, it's like, you can get upset, but you also have to know that it's like, it's not the end of the world and it, it doesn't even mean that your film sucks or that it's terrible. You know, it's like, that doesn't mean, like, you know, make excuses for yourself. But it's like, you know, calm down. Don't worry. Like, keep at it. And it don't sucks that it's... festival programmers nasty notes. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, that, that sucks, too. They don't want that. They, they have a lot. Um, you know, they're human beings. Whatever. They have, like, their own lives. We have no idea what's going on. Well, Please and, don't and do that. More than that, like, it's... The other thing that I think I learned is that, you know, the folks who program film festivals may feel like gatekeepers and feel like they're you know they're judging your film and denying you an opportunity and like i've 
felt all that like deep into my bones. But the fact is like, once you are on the other side of the table with these people, you realize that a they're getting paid shit. So like that, you know that it there there's very little like glamour in in the nonprofit arts life, and they're doing it because they love it because they're legitimately thrilled when they find a new film that that means something to them and they share it with the audience and it means something to them, and the fact that that's not my film, you know hurts me but i can't i can't like it's not about any one film or any one filmmaker it's about a community and it's about the audience and so it's you know it's important to realize not just that they're human but that like they really are doing this for the right reasons and doing this um in a way that that's trying to find stories that are relevant and and belong in the now and connecting them with an audience that will help them succeed like I love it when when films I go to bat for are a hit with the audience and when the filmmaker moves on to to better things. Like that's one of the most gratifying things about, you know, helping to run a film festival and that's it it sucks that I put years of my life into making a film that didn't get that experience, but I can't, you know, I can't carry that bone and just chew on it. You just have to keep going and keep making work. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the only kind of like real grievance is you spent all this money, you know? Um, oh, oh, no. My one real grievance is the ones that don't fucking watch your movie. That's that one. I will throw a stone as both a filmmaker and a programmer because um, I don't know that all filmmakers do this or that all film programmers are savvy to this, but you can use different links for different submissions. And so you can tell if that link you sent to, you know, a very prestigious, household name film festival ever got clicked on and when you paid sixty dollars to submit it and no one ever fucking clicked play on your link like that that you can take to the grave that's malpractice uh and that's happened to me i have read a couple things where people were able to get refunds from that so i think that's good and you know if you're one of those people please do email them because you should and, uh, you know, they probably won't I fight you. I someone I knew who knew the director of that film festival, and so they, they, they heard that back through the grapevine, so... Uh, <laughs> they heard what through the grapevine? Yeah. That filmmakers know that they're not, that their movie's not being watched. Yeah. But on to better news. So you have this web series, a new web series coming out uh, yes. that we're finally going to yep. talk about, and it's called uh, We've Got History. Sorry. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, We've Got History is a uh, comedy web series about two exes who hate each other, who uh, work together as American history uh, tour guides. So it's a, a title's kind of a pun. It's clever. High concept, I think they called it on the West Coast. That's right. What made you go back into doing a web series? I think web series are exciting. I think that um, I I still um, I don't know that. It, I mean, it, it's it's another micro budget project. It's another thing that's you know going to be a combination of you know beg, borrow, steal, out of pocket, and Kickstarter and you know, in the interest of spending money as responsibly as possible, which sure you want to do at every level, but like allocating 20% of your production budget to like 
asking people if they'll screen your movie is is just not responsible when when your friends are opening their wallets for your for your project. So to me, like as long as you're you're making stuff on the small side, you need to um, be as close to your audience as as possible. And so I think, you know, I'm going to make feature films again. I'm going to go to festivals like it's not like I'm, you know, once bitten, forever scorning that that world. Um, but the scale I'm working, it, it just makes the most sense for um, for the project. What made you yeah. do that story in particular? It's hard to point to the moment where it was like that was the decision so much as it just kind of was like something I played with for a long time and just kind of started coming to life. Um, it it funnily enough uh, came out of just like sitting in the backyard riffing on like single sentence pitches for like high concept project and it was like you know hey two two exes who hate each other who do colonial america tours we've got history and it's just kind of like uh you know it's just kind of like oh that's funny um but the more i kind of started to play with it the more fun there is in it um because like two x's stuck together is um is just such a fun dynamic like on one hand your exes can be like your best friends because they know you so well and you have nothing to prove to each other and so they can be really honest relationships but they also can be just like completely trapped in the past right and that's that's where these two are is it's um you know they are dressed in colonial american garb reenacting history while also stuck kind of reenacting their their personal history right uh a therapist who once said um we're much more attracted to what's familiar than to what's good for us and i think that that's that's kind of like the 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 chestnut at the heart of this comedy, which is, you know, it's it's funny to watch people bicker, but it's also um, coming from a place of real, real truth. Like, we've all been at times and places in our life where it's like, oh, yeah, the answer is to move on. How did it take me that long to figure out that the answer is to just fucking move on? Is this like an explicitly Boston-influenced project? It is, um, and it's, uh, I think one of the things that, um, that I can say having enough friends who are filmmakers and having spent enough time programming is, um, you need to find a story that belongs to the place that you're shooting it. Um, you know, if, if you're about to make something and you say, okay, well, if I just transferred the whole setting to... Los Angeles or transfer the whole setting to New York, would it be the same thing? And if the answer is yes, then then you're not making use of, I mean, the set the setting of your story is fundamentally the one of the most valuable things about it and one of the most distinct things. Your setting is a character. And if you're not making use of it, if it's just like the place the characters happen to have fallen off the boat like that that's the same as just like leaving the rocky poster on the on the wall of the dorm room right you need to find something that needs to be in the place that you're shooting and wouldn't work anywhere else and so for for we've got history um 
Boston, I've, I mean, you've been to, to downtown Boston, you see the people in colonial garb giving tours because that's, that's a little cottage industry downtown. Um, tourists come to Boston to experience the, the founding of the nation history and um, a lot of actors in town. That's their day, go- day job is it's a pretty decently paying gig. They pretend to be someone from the 18th century. They lead tourists around talking in funny accents. And, um, you know, that's, that's something really specific to, to Boston. I don't know if they do that in Philly. They might. Uh, I have no idea. But it's something that like you couldn't do in LA, right? It's it's a story that belongs here. And to me, that's what was so compelling about it. Same with Austin Christmas. It's a story that like doesn't belong anywhere else. Yeah. If you were to do that in New York, they'd have to be uh superheroes. Right. And they'd be like, Why are they all moving on the same day? That's dumb. But in Boston it's like, Oh yeah, I do that every fucking year. That's a travesty. Why do we do that? Right? So you yeah, it's it's just about, you know, making your setting a character and, and finding ways for the, the characters to have a relationship to to the place they're in that that kind of anchors their story. Okay, so you have a couple uh things from We've Got History that you can see and it's in the article and we're also linking to your Kickstarter, so Please do Thank check you. out the Kickstarter and contribute. This is your second Kickstarter, right? Third. Third, okay. Um, even better. Third joy. Thank you, everyone who gives. I love doing this. <laughs> um, fundraising is murder. Um, I, 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 I joke that like running a Kickstarter is like having a, a high-grade anxiety disorder for 30 days. Like you, You've never known joy until you, like, wake yourself up at 3 a.m. with an anxiety dream and, like, you to check your phone to see if anyone has contributed since you went to bed. Yeah. Chris, you've done this. You, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, you're good at it. Like, do you have, like, tips and tricks? Get good art for your project. A lot of what people are going to base their judgment on is um, just the, the artwork, you know, Put the effort into getting some good photos done, um, getting a designer to give your film title a a look. Like it, it all comes together, and those most superficial things are are huge. I mean, you you can read entire studies Netflix has done about like a good thumbnail image on your movie will make like two hundred times as many people watch it. Um, even if it's the exact same movie. Um, and so like that, that kind of like getting down to the thumbnail of it, I think is, is huge and making sure you have something that, um, is, is eye grabbing and speaks of the the quality of the production you're going to have. Um, the other thing is just kind of being able to, um, to push the narrative in terms of like trying to get press, being able to, you know, talk about why this is something we need now. And, um, I don't know, email your friends and family a lot. Um, when you're having your long, dark nights of the soul, and believe me, you have a lot of them in a month where you're fundraising, like, keep them to yourself and, um, just keep that outward face of enthusiasm and gratitude and, um, 
you know, I think that's really, really critical um, because folks want to believe in your project and you have to accept that as it's, um, you know, coming from a, a good place and, um, you know, they, they don't want to hear you melting down. So find a friend. Yeah, there's my one piece of advice. Find a friend you can call at three in the morning when you're having a meltdown. That's that's probably the most valuable thing you can do in running a Kickstarter. Get your phone a friend lined up. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, all right, yeah. It's been a nice hour. Uh, let's yeah, wrap this up. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, we wish you luck in your Kickstarter. And once again, it is located in the article below um you know just in case people click on, that article. Click on the ads too right do you have ads advertisers uh, yeah getting clicked on yeah we do um you know on the off chance that somebody's see, listening see to what this. a good guest i am <laughs> just click some random ads to yeah. support your favorite your favorite podcast thank you um on the off chance somebody's listening to this on itunes or something do you have a website um for history.com you have that really yeah that's awesome i would assume that would be taken by you no. <laughs> um, there's a one direction song called we've got history that dominates all the, the google searches um but yeah we've got history.com is me okay cool yeah um if you're not reading the article go there and please do contribute and keep up with the project and do you have do you yourself have a website? Uh it's jaredvincenti.com and it's just all of my previous projects on on one page. So you can also uh I guess you can contact me through my website. I respond to nice messages. Yeah, keep the mean ones to yourself. People. Right. Um we keep coming back to that, right? Like <laughs> if you have something shady to say, just like Say it to a rock. Yeah, man. Just look rock in the mirror. As much as anyone else. Yeah, look in a mirror. That's what <laughs> I say. But all right, cool. That's it. Thanks again. IndieBeat and all the playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming, a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem, and you have one month to watch it. Visit MUBI.com slash the playlist to start your special 30-day free trial. Regular people would only get seven-day free trial. So this is the real deal, people. You could do $5.99 a month or $47.99 for a full year. Movie is available via web or on any of your other favorite devices such as Apple TV, Samsung Smart TVs, Roku, PlayStation. So pause your game of Bonk's Adventure and watch some films, Sonnies. Mubi is a global platform, but programming is customized per country. Some highlights Mubi is now showing in the U.S. of A. Philippe Garel, Fight for Eternity. There are currently four titles on the exclusive global retrospective of the great French auteur. Part of this is the film Les Houts Solitudes, probably butchered that, and The Wind of the Night. Also playing is the original Wicker Man and the LAOLA Contemporary Spanish Showcase. This is now heading to New York City this weekend. Thanks again for listening, tuning in, checking out the show, etc. It's all the same thing. 
Um, this is Indie Beat. My name is Christopher Jason Bell. We are part of the Playlist Podcast Network. And guess what? There are other shows on that network, and you should listen to them. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes, and give us a review. You know? A++++. Fantastic. Can't believe it. You know, say all the good things, all the great things, and make Christmas come early for me. So until next time, take care. Thanks for listening. Bye.